0: For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me. We're going to go a little different direction this week. Oh yeah. Instead of the cave. Push the clutch in. We we are moving out into the galaxy and I'm going to bring you two people, well three people, and the farce is strong with these folks and yes i did i did pronounce that correctly (laughs) the farce is strong with these folks we got mark tuttle we got timothy o'donnell and we are joined once again by dr jason ebrell so the subject this this week if you hadn't guessed already is going to be the philosophy of star wars
1: Woohoo! that sounds fun (laughs) all right so dr jason why don't you start us off here a little bit and uh Set us up and explain why philosophy and Star Wars can be talked about even in the same paragraph.
2: <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> well, I mean there there is a uh, lot of uh, depths that can be plumbed with with something like Star Wars because honestly, it's I mean it, it's a modern mythology, right? For you know people like me, you know, growing up in the late twentieth century. This is our Iliad and Odyssey, right? This is our Beowulf. This is our King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, right? Uh, And not that I'm saying that, you know, Star Wars qualifies as great classic literature uh, as those epics do. I'm not putting them in the exact same category. But what I'm saying is that you think about, you know, the the stories that kind of inspire people, stories that uh, people find these universal themes of. Uh, good and evil, and heroism, and so on. And and it's no accident that people find us in Star Wars, because George Lucas, in creating it, intentionally wanted to draw on these classical mythological themes. And, of course, these classical mythological themes very much have informed a lot of philosophical reflection from the ancient Greeks, like Plato and Aristotle, though Plato didn't have much... Which used for poets, um, but, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> but the but there was it's there definitely been an influence, and you know even um, today philosophers use uh, thought experiments uh, to talk about you know issues of mor- of morality or metaphysics and so on, and so something that's sci-fi or fantasy um, usually helps to function by giving us you know these types of uh, fantastical thought experiments that we can then draw on and and reflect philosophically
3: well you know i was absolutely captivated by star wars the first movie when it came out and i was i was 12 years old and of course it's enjoyed tremendous um you know commercial success and 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 all that but but let me ask you dr Eberle. um oh i should say too just You've been a frequent guest, but I should probably introduce you to just just you know, it's uh we are our guest today really well guest is uh, two, well that's really not uh the, the right word for it uh, it's our brother here in the Catholic Cave, Dr. Jason Eberle, professor of healthcare ethics and philosophy. He's the director of the Albert, and I'm going to pronounce it uh, Nagy. That's that might yeah, be. Yeah, that's
2: how I do it. Oh,
3: okay, yeah. good. Well, I might pronounce it differently next time too. Uh, <laughs> Center for Healthcare Ethics at. The wonderful Catholic University, St. Louis University, just a stone's throw west of us here in Indianapolis. So, you better um, have a
0: good arm. Well, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so we're taught. So Star, what? Uh, so let's. Uh, uh, so you kind of laid a little bit of foundation here about Star Wars and philosophy. So let's let's. Uh, there's a lot of themes that come up. Could you maybe talk a little bit about uh, Dr. Eberle? about the force. Like, what is the force as a concept? Because we're always hearing about the force. The force is doing this. I'm with the force. I'm not with the force. Good, you know, dark side, blah, blah, blah. What is the force, and how does it really kind of operate, or what's it, its function in this grand narrative of Star Wars?
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I think really, yeah, the, the foundational philosophical metaphysical question, right, that Star Wars raises. And, of course, one might wonder, okay, nerds, you guys get together and, and talk about what the Force is. Why should they, you know the rest of us care? But, you know, it, it's this is what makes Star Wars so universally appealing, right? Why it was such a popular blockbuster. Yeah, it's got, you know, cool ship battles and, and characters and lightsabers, right? But, you know, it also, again, spoke to people um, with this sort of you know, mystical concept. So, yeah, I mean, George Lucas could have made a a space opera fantasy that was simply, you know, re- rebels and versus an evil empire, and that'd be the good versus the evil, and that would be, you know, enough or still a great epic film. But again, just as going back to the the mythological epics he was drawing on, like, you know, the, the Iliad and the Odyssey and so on, um, there there's a metaphysical component to all of this, right? There are gods and demigods and, and so on, and people's... Uh, fates are being determined and there are chosen ones and so on. And and so he, he wanted to bring that mythological element to Star Wars. And part of the reason to to sort of take it seriously is that Luke is very intentionally conceived of the force as something kind of ill defined. And something that people who are coming at this film or this series of films from either say a, a Western judeo-christian perspective or say an eastern buddhist or Taoist perspective will find something that resonates with them so the force we talked about in a lot of dichotomous ways so for example uh the force is being is talked about as um uh being generated by all living things right so this creates this notion of it it's kind of this um you know panentheistic entity right it's it's the divine that is within each thing, and each thing generates it um, on the other hand, the force is talked about as having a will, so there's this kind of personal quality to the force as we talk about the will of God in Catholicism, right um, The force is something that that it's both transcendent and imminent it seems like, and so again it, it, it's very hard to define the force I think this as um the great uh, Jewish philosopher Moses Maimonides said about God we can only really say what God is not. Uh, I think we can also only do that about the force. It's hard to say what the force is it's just maybe better to say what, what the force is not. Um, and it's not little creatures residing in ourselves, George Lucas.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that la- that later adaptation from from uh, from the, from the pre- prequels always bugged me too. One of the things I found fascinating about the Force was those who were um, initiated. Is probably not the right word, but but those who were Force sensitive. Those those who who were were somehow. Involved with the force and those characters who weren't this was beyond their choice Um, So this was either something they were born with or or somehow the force had had chosen them um, To be initiated, but but the force was not a universal um, It it wasn't a universal characteristic that all characters were able to Kind of partake in use utilize etc. And I always found that aspect of it very fascinating
2: Yeah, so uh, setting aside my my little glib, humorous comment there at the end, um, it is the case that there is a sort of biological component uh, to all this. So when George Lucas and the prequel films came up with this concept of what he called the midi chlorians, right? These symbiotic entities that reside in ourselves. Yeah, a lot of Star Wars fans, you know, complained like, "Oh, he's." You know, biologically reducing the force. There's no, it's no longer mystical or anything. It's just the stuff in our cells. But really, if we listen carefully to the the dialogue uh, in the film, what the midi chlorians are is just, yeah, something people. Some people have more of than others, and it allows them to be attuned to the force in, in in a in a particular way, more so than other people. So the force is still this mystical, ethereal, transcendent. Um, thing, but that some people, as you point out, Mark, are more uh, you know biologically capable of being attuned to it, and as you point out, this is not any of their choice, right? So, to the extent that the Force does have a will, um, we can think of this as something akin to, like a vocation, right? Some people are called to uh, a certain life, and it may not be a life that they would have chosen for themselves, um, or that they may even want, but because they have this tremendous power to draw another pop culture analogy with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Um, You have to be trained in how to use it. Um, Otherwise, your uh, proclivity to use your powers to do evil becomes, you know, potentially um, more risky.
3: Well, you've written uh, or contributed to and edited at least two books on Star Wars and philosophy and actually have them in my hands. One's called... uh, star wars and philosophy and the other one is called the ultimate star wars and philosophy and I, I highly recommend these books and i'm wondering if we as we build off kind of what you're just sharing dr eberl um the chapter that uh you could that uh, you wrote in uh the ultimate star wars and philosophy is titled know the dark side a theodicy of the force and i was wondering if um we don't have a lot of time before the break, so we'll just get started a little bit. Your initial thoughts. How, how does the, um, the dark side of the Force um, interact with or... Uh, well, let me, let me back up. The Force has this transcendent quality to it, right? It's an immaterial reality, which I think is super helpful because you don't really find that in a lot of sci-fi stories and in and, and, and epics. So... How does and going back to your article here? How does the the theodicy, if you will, sort of begin to unfold across this Star Wars narrative?
2: Yeah, that, that, that's a huge question just for the break. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> you got ten
3: seconds. Okay, go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first, first of all, thanks for mentioning uh, the books. Um, the timing of this interview is actually quite fortuitous, as. Um, This week, I am gathering, once again, with my my frequent co-editor on these books, uh, my good friend Kevin Becker, and we are putting together the table of contents uh, for a third volume. uh, That'll be called Star Wars and Philosophy Strikes Back.
3: Yes! Okay, great.
2: (laughs) And, yeah, we received over uh, 100 proposals from various uh, philosophers and other academics um, covering the entire saga, all nine films of the, of the Star Wars, Skywalker Saga, Rogue One, The Mandalorian, The Clone Wars, animated series, uh, the, the, everything. Wow. So we're really excited to be, be putting this together. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, just to, to do a brief start to your question, and then maybe we'll pick it up after the break. Um, the, yeah, the chapter in, in the ultimate Star Wars and philosophy book I wrote is, is a little bit of a sequel to the chapter I wrote for the first book. In the first book, I was mostly concerned with this question of, uh, of Anakin uh, and, to a certain extent, Luke being chosen ones and having a destiny. And what does that mean with respect to the question of their having free will, right, or they're being determined? And at the time I wrote that essay, uh, episode three had not yet been released. So although we knew Anakin becomes Darth Vader, we didn't really have the full story of exactly what the choice he made and what was motivating that. So then, while I'm writing the the, the chapter for the follow-up book, we now know um, the choice that Anakin makes. And it's a choice that, even though it leads him to the dark side, is very much driven by something we think is good, i.e. a a husband's love for his wife and for his unborn child, or in this case children, twin children, and and wanting to save them from death. What could be a more noble motivation than that? And yet, it leads him to the dark side. And so, one thing that this shows, uh, and, and again, we may get more deeper in the sense of the break, is that the 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 line between the light side and the dark side of the Force is very porous, or, or it's a very thin line to, to cross. Um, and, and it's not too difficult for Anakin to make that choice. And again, to seem to make it for... Very noble motivations, um, and so one of the things I do in that essay and and in a, in a subsequent essay, I wrote for another project, kind of explore this this bivalent nature of the force because keep in mind it's not like there's a good force and a bad force or a light force and a dark force it's the light and dark sides of the force there's only one force mm. and so just so even though you know, like in Catholic theology, we have God and we have Satan. So again, Satan's not another God. Satan is also a creature just like us. So there really is only one God, and God is perfectly good, yet, of course, evil exists in in the universe that God created. So, it's not that necessarily God has a light side and a dark side, but there is definitely a light side and dark side to what God has created. And so what is then that you know, tell us about God and God's relation to us. Um, so that's just some of the things that I that I was exploring in that chapter.
0: Alright, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more of the philosophy of Star Wars right after this. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio. Featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor, tell them about Catholic Radio Indy.
3: Alexa, what's the weather forecast
0: for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy.
1: Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell and our special guest, Dr. Jason Eberl, who is a professor of bioethics at St. Louis University. But that is not why we are talking to Dr. Jason today. We are talking to Jason because he has thought through and has contemplated the philosophical background of one of my favorite film series and probably you know favorite film series for most of our listeners star wars so one of the reasons that i think it's sort of a favorite of so many people is because as 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 you pointed out jason in at the beginning star wars functions very much as a mythology for our times but what exactly a mythology is, what it does, what role it plays within society, that's something that I, I think we've got to explore a little bit more so when we we talk about Star Wars as a mythology, what exactly do we mean by that?
2: yeah, that's a great question um, yeah as I mentioned the you know at the, at the very beginning of our conversation right George lucas in, in writing Star Wars and creating this 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 universe of galaxy was uh, very intentionally drawing on, you know, these you know, kind of universal themes of good and evil that you find in other, you know, human mythologies. Uh, he was very influenced by the mythologist Joseph Campbell, who wrote, among other things, this book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, um, in which he delineates what he calls the hero's journey and, and how this kind of same story gets told over and over again. Um, kind of think of Nietzsche and the and the eternal recurrence here right um, and and so what you know defining what it, what a mythology is um, you know I, I think that you know we, we as humans want we we want a, co- a kind of coherent picture of reality right mm-hmm. we want to understand the universe and our place in it that's that's kind of universal right and when we think about, you know, a mythological story, it could be a story that we take to be true, right? It could be a story that informs our, our religious faith, right? So, the, again, as Catholics, we don't take the story of the six days of creation in Genesis as literally factually true, right? Um, so it's a mythology. It's a, it's a mythical story, um, and it draws on other Near Eastern mythologies of creation. However, we derive certain things that we do take to be true about the overall nature of creation, about God, about our place in creation, from that story, from that mythology, right? It gives a certain coherence to our, our, our what, you know, more richly developed Christian, you know, Judeo-Christian Catholic notion of, again, what the universe is and our place in it. And of course, throughout the various stories in the Bible, and also from extra-biblical stories like the Iliad, the Odyssey, Gilgamesh, and so on, and now Star Wars, we also find um, moral lessons, right? These are often morality tales. Uh, we, uh, the term allegory, right, referring to a story that has some sort of moral lesson built into it. And so, to kind of have these, you know, not not everyone's going to pick up Plato or Augustine, or Aquinas, although everyone should. <laughs> right on! Exactly! <laughs> but because not everyone does, you know, how can you embed these stories, um, in, you know, in, in something um, that, that people will, will relate to? And, I, and I'll give you a, another quick example. Um, so, you know, once in a while, I know Heidegger comes up in our conversations. Oh man,
3: yeah, give that's the masterpiece barbecue sauce because I like the barbecue. That dude, he's part of the unholy trinity: the the Heidegger, the Hegel, and Kant. Those are the unholy trinity in my in my. Okay, I have a bias against them. Okay, anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Drevrel. Well, I, I'll,
2: I'll just mention one one thing about Heidegger. One one thing that Heidegger wrote that I do. Well, that I can comprehend and enjoy. Oh, that's another problem. Uh, this Is uh, an essay called um, "A Question"? The, the the question concerning technology, mm-hmm. and
1: this, by the uh, way, is a must read. I think for everybody. So I, I really do think that is a, a quintessential text that everybody. That's needs to a disputed
3: back read. Uh, directive, there, Mark. <laughs> I dispute that. But go ahead. Sorry,
2: (laughs) but you know, I mean, but we thought, you know, this has come up in our, you know, some of our other conversations about, you know, biotechnology and transhumanism Mm -hmm. and so on. Which was a great
3: show, by the way. Everyone should go listen to it again. It was phenomenal. Thank you for that. Okay, go ahead.
2: Yeah, Um, and and so you know, Heidegger has this, you know, kind of dim view of of technology as something which, as he says, kind of inframes us and reduces uh, the human person. To what he calls a, a standing reserve, we basically instrumentalize ourselves through our use of technology, right? Just think of how dependent we all are on our iPhones, right? Things like that, and and Star Wars, of course, you know, Heidegger's never quoted in in the, in the show or anything, but you think about the attitude of you know the you know the Death Star as this, mm-hmm. as, as Vader calls it, this technological terror you constructed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's serving the Emperor, yet he's dissing on this piece of technology, right? He says, you know, we need to appeal to the force. That's what's going to lead us to victory. And so the point being is that, uh, you know, I think Lucas shows a certain attitude about technology, um, about how it, I mean, he puts the stormtroopers in these faceless masks, right? Um, They're literally like non-people. And and so we don't really care as little kids, we watch them get shot up, right? You um, though you think about it later, you're like, oh, those are people getting killed left and right by, by our heroes, right? Uh, Luke blows up the Death Star. How many millions of people were, were, were living and working on the Death Star, right? Um, so, again, the, this, this Heideggerian theme kind of comes up there, and I think that's what Star Wars and other mythologies do really well, right? They, they bring these kind of grand lessons to the table in a way that is, you know, digestible by a mass audience.
3: That even brings back like, uh, of course, the iconic lightsaber, right, is a hearkening back to, you know, the the nobility of sword play versus a machine gun. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to to pick up on the uh, the force again. And how does how does the um, free will versus predestination kind of unfold in Star Wars?
2: Yeah, um, so you kind of think about because you
3: keep hearing destiny. Okay, I can't do the Darth Vader voice. It's your destiny. <laughs> you hear that a lot, right? But but yeah. and yet there does seem to be some choosing, right? But, but is destiny irresistible,
1: right? And 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 you you also have chosen ones, but the chosen ones don't exactly play out as you know necessarily following their destiny all the time either.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, this you know, is a question that philosophers deal with, particularly Catholic and other Christian philosophers deal with. It, you know, today as we think about, you know, the fact that that God, as we conceive of God, is uh, omnipotent and omniscient, right? So God is all-knowing and all-powerful, um, and and so God from and God is also eternal, meaning that God is outside of space and time. So God comprehends all of creation, not just spatially, but so God knows the entire temporal unfolding of the entire universe and everything that's going to happen within it. So, you know, God knows what I'm going to eat for breakfast this morning. God knows what I'm going to eat for breakfast, you know, five years from now. (laughs) if I'm still alive five years from now eating breakfast. Um, And that's no different than God knowing or me remembering what I ate for breakfast, you know, Five days ago, right? Past, present, future. These things are kind of meaningless uh, from an eternal perspective. And so, this raises the question of, you know, do we have free will? Um, and of course, as omnipotent, God also has the power to simply take control of us. God doesn't exercise that power, God, because God wanted us to be free. Because God wants us to freely, ch- you know, choose to love Him. And so, in Star Wars, right, we have a similar thing, right? The Force um, is this. Uh, on the one hand, it's a power that can be controlling, but can also be controlled, right? A Jedi chooses to to open themselves up to the Force, to feel the Force flowing through them, right? So it doesn't uh, completely control your actions unless you allow it. And that's, again, kind of akin to, a, a, in Christian spirituality, our opening ourselves up to divine grace, right? We choose to let God work through us. God doesn't force his own will onto us, even though he has the power to do so. And in terms of, you know, God knowing the future and every future choice we make, again, yeah, God knows what I'm going to choose for breakfast, you know, tomorrow, but that's because I make that choice tomorrow, right? God isn't forcing me to choose what to eat for breakfast tomorrow. I make a choice tomorrow of what to eat for breakfast, and because God's outside of time, God has known that choice that I make for all eternity, right? The choice is still mine to make. And so the force has this sort of eternal perspective. Or if there are prophets or seers within the Force, right? Certain Jedi who are gifted to kind of see through the Force and therefore see the future. But yet, it's not like they're making the future happen. The Force isn't making the future happen. They're just seeing choices people make in the future. So Anakin, well, the reason Anakin is the Chosen One is arguably because he makes himself the Chosen One. He makes certain choices that lead to, at least temporarily, him destroying the Emperor, right? Until episode nine. Spoiler alert, the Emperor comes back. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but that's the idea, right? Is Anakin makes choices or Luke makes choices or Ray makes choices and through the force the fact that these choices are made at some time that from our perspective is the future can be seen from an eternal, atemporal present perspective.
1: Right, but, you know, the, the Force in some ways operates differently than the, the way, um, I guess, the the way God does or, or Grace does in that the character's own choices seem to, in, in a lot of ways, affect the Force. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, choosing to go to the dark side or choosing to stay on the light side, um, that affects the the way the Force operates within the universe of Star Wars. So there, there there's a little bit more, I, I don't know, ambiguity, I guess, towards that sort of omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing aspect of the force, that it doesn't quite seem to be that way.
2: No, I think that's that's, that's good to point out, because, yeah, the, the force is not a perfect stand-in for the Judeo-Christian-Islamic concept of God, right? Uh, like I said, there's things that things about the nature of the force, as to the extent that Lucas does describe it, that we that we Christians can find resonances with, but so again, so can a Buddhist or a Taoist, right? Which arguably shows the universality of some of our shared beliefs, even though we also have uh, very different beliefs in our different um, belief systems. But, um, but yeah, there's something you know, similar. It's, 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 you know, Aquinas you know, talks about analogy, right? We can only analogize to God. Um, we can't talk perfectly about the exact nature of God. Uh, so he doesn't go the full the, 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 uh, the uh, apophatic way that Maimonides goes, that I mentioned before, that we can only say what God is not. No, we can say things about God, but often what we say, we can only say in analogous terms, like drawing from our own experiences, right? We know, we know we're intelligent, um, so God well speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> I mean there are there's there are the Heideggers of the world right right but, right uh, right <laughs> now you're with the program
3: dr. everell you're on you're on the right side of the force right
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the point is, is you know what what does it mean for God to be intelligent right uh, we don't you know perfectly comprehend that right um, so to go back to this point though about the the, the nature of the Force, and sort of, you know, God, you know, as you point out, Mark, you know, you know, the Force, yeah, doesn't really have a full control over people's wills, and the Force, yeah, does seem to be something that can be changed by people's actions. Whereas with God, you know, again, drawing from Augustine and Aquinas, you know, we understand God to be pure act and to be impassable, meaning that God can't change. God is perfect. And if God is perfect then the change would be for God to become something different. But if God doesn't lack anything, then there's nothing for God to change into. Well,
1: we're coming up... (laughs) I I was just going to say, we're coming up on a break, (laughs) but that idea of perfect and imperfect and changeability applies not only to the force, it does the characters. So when we come back, we're going to take up the theme of moral ambiguity in Star Wars right after this.
3: So, the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. Catholic Radio Indy. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless.
1: Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell, Kent Blanford, and we are talking with Dr. Jason Eberl. We are talking about Star Wars. And right before the break, we were talking about sort of the, the nature of the force. We, we, we've been talking about how the force um, has a lot of the same attributes of God, and yet it doesn't. And that allows us to sort of explore and think a little bit deeper about how interconnected God is with our lives, how much God affects our choices. And in the Star Wars universe, What's fun is sort of the, I think overall moral character of those the 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 characters there, as they make those choices as they interact with with um, Star Wars. I think one of the the great things that George Lucas did is he color coded the movie for us at least in the at least in the the first original three movies, where you know from the very beginning you had. Luke Skywalker in his white robes. You had Darth Vader completely, totally black. You had a difference in even the the kind of um, evil characters, and, and I, I'll use evil loosely here, that you had the human characters that were, were the Emperor's minions. They were dressed in dark garb, yet the stormtroopers were white and it kind of gave this sense of sort of a moral ambiguity about the stormtroopers that you know they weren't really doing this necessary. it looked like
3: chess pieces almost yeah
1: yeah, they did look like chess like pawns, pieces exactly right? so you know you, you got this idea that the, the stormtroopers were a little more morally neutral that they weren't doing this uh, by any you know basis of their own will they were just foot soldiers that were you know kind of taking commands so you had this sort of moral code that was laid out and then you could could see though that moral code, and and some of my favorite characters are the ones that don't fit that black and white mode. You know, you've got Han Solo that when you first see him, he's got a he's he, he's kind of both black and white at the same time, and uh, you know Lando shows up and Lando's dressed in gray, and so you you have these sort of morally ambiguous. Um, characters that that are color coded, but I'm going to ask you, Doctor Jason, is that is that the correct way to look at it? Is it really as black and white as it seems on the camera?
2: Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think the original trilogy does come across. Well, let's say, say the very first film, right? Um, you you do have what seems to be yeah very yeah morally dichotomous, right? The the empire is just pure evil. There's not, like, you know, before we learned that about Vader's past or anything, right, he's just this pure embodiment uh, of, of evil. Um, and and Luke is and, and Leia are kind of, again, dressed in this kind of, you know, virginly pure white, you know, garb and so on, and, and there's no ambiguity to them, um, you know, Luke's going to be the hero and so on, but then, yeah, right away, you have Han Solo, who shot first, as we all know. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 even though Luke has tried to backpedal on that it, with some, you know, not so creative editing, um, in, in as he continued to tinker with the film, um, yeah, Han is not, you know, he, he's a smuggler, he's an outlaw, he's on the outside of things. Um, he, he lives in what the philosopher Giorgio Agamben calls the state of exception, right? Um, mm. Very much akin to kind of like the Hobbesian state of nature, right? Mm. Uh, Han is literally an outlaw. He's living outside <clears throat> both the laws of the Republic, which is now gone, or the laws of the Empire, right? Um, and so that puts him in in, in this, this, yeah, kind of different category of, of being. And I think that's why you know, everyone, yeah, sure, loves Luke Skywalker, lo- wants him to be the hero. Um but everyone resonates with Han to to a certain extent. I think Han is a little bit more realistic. Like it's almost like we all wanna be Luke, but we all realize we're more likely to be be, be Han. <laughs> right? <laughs> right Right, right. <laughs> and and also Lando's a very interesting figure when he comes up in The Empire Strikes Back, right? Because, you know, when you see that movie the first time you're you're like, oh Lando, he betrays our you know, betrays his friends to the Empire. That's horrible. How could he do that? But as my former professor, Richard Dees, mentions in his essay in the first Star Wars and philosophy book, um, he says, Look, what else would Lando have done? What else should we have, should Lando you know, should Lando have done? Imagine if terrorists came to the President of the United States and said, Turn over your best friends or we're gonna nuke New York City. You know we would suspect, we would want the president to look out for the citizens of the country before his or her own cronies, right? Right, right. And so Lando, who's the administrator of Cloud City, of Destin, he needs to look out for his own people first, and that's what he does. You know, did he make a a prudent decision? Because, of course, the deal kept getting worse all the time. Maybe not. Maybe there was a better course of action for him to take, but it's not like he was doing something that was inherently bad or evil, right? Which is Then allows them to to, you know turn around and become the heroic figure you know at the end of that film and then to return the Jedi. Um, It's it's interesting too, thinking about like I said, this kind of you know moral black and whiteness. When we fast forward say to the Last Jedi, right, Episode Eight, and so many fans were just so angry at the depiction of, of Luke in that film because he's no longer the heroic Jedi bowing down. You mm-hmm. know, battle droids <laughs> with a lightsaber as we do get to finally see him doing the Mandalorian uh season two finale. Um, but he, you know, he's he's a person of despair and he's disillusioned with the Jedi, right? He mm-hmm. says, You know, look at the prequel films. Well, not you know say so literally watch the films, but he's like, Look at what happens in the prequel films. The the legacy of the Jedi is failure. And he's not wrong about that. The Jedi in the prequels were arrogant, including Yoda. And they allowed, you know, the emperor to rise to power right underneath them. Right. And and so, you know, even Luke becomes a more interesting. Like I I I have some critiques of the Last Jedi as a film, um, but I don't hate it for the reasons a lot of other people hate it. I thought it was a very honest um, approach to to the character of Luke Skywalker.
3: Well, one thing you said earlier that really uh, I, really struck me as a great insight is you met, you had brought up Dr. Eberle, that you know the force is one thing, and then it has you know these two sides to it, and um, the 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 there's a, a sort of a porous border between the two sides of the force, and you kind of see that in the characters. And I think when I when I think about the character development, their sort of moral formation. It seems like it, one thing that kind of resonates with me is that the there's this uh, seduct almost like immediate uh, seduction of power on the dark side. You almost immediately like you're almost it's like you, you it's like you chugged three monster drinks in a snicker and then ate a Snickers bar, right? You're like you're pumped up, and it immediately pulls you in. Where uh, if on the on sort of the light side of the force or the good side of the force that requires more training and and discipline things like that it seem, seems like that's a little bit more you see more of that like in the empire strikes back now both require some some formation but there is this sort of movement that you see this attraction to or pull kind of back and forth between the different sides of the force and i'm wondering when you think about the when you think about the force or let's say the moral framework do do you find that there are operating any moral absolutes Throughout the storyline, or are things a little bit more relativistic, or a little bit more up for grabs?
2: Well, Tim, you should know that only a fifth deals in absolutes. Well, and the great irony of that quote is that itself is an absolute statement. Uh, Obi Wan was not a was not a great philosopher. I gotta say, um, Yoda was the better philosopher. But no, it's interesting. So you know, one of the things that you know, as we talk about moral objectivism and moral relativism, and so on you know, there's the, there's the metaphysics of it, right, the, or the meta-ethics of is there an objective morality, is morality relative to cultures or subjectively defined by the individual? And of course, as, as Catholic Christians, we believe in an objective morality. Lots of people do, theists and atheists alike. Um, but then there's this question of moral epistemology, right? Um, how do we know that what we claim to be objectively morally true actually is objectively morally true, right? So, you know, we think, for example, that what God tells us through Revelation, through the Ten Commandments, through the teachings of Christ, is uh, objectively morally true, and, and, you know, those of us who are devout live our lives based on that. But, of course, you know, the Islamic jihadists who attacked the U.S. on September 11, 2001, also thought they were following an objective moral code as defined by God, right? So, you know, one of us is right, one of us is wrong. And so that's the moral epistemology. How do we know, other than just having our own personal relativistic beliefs uh, that that, what, that we're right and they're wrong, or vice versa? And Star deals with the same question. And as you mentioned, it comes up in, in The Empire Strikes Back, right? Luke asks Yodaway's training, how, how am I to know the good side from the bad? And Yoda responds, "You will know when you are calm, at peace, and passive." Um, and 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 there's this this the lesson that Yoda gives Luke not only in that quotation but throughout that film, and he gives to Anakin in uh, Episode three. He draws very much on on themes that you find in Buddhism, in Stoicism, and in Augustinianism. Um, this notion of um, of of not completely sublimating one's passions, one's emotions, but putting them under the control of reason and mm-hmm. surrendering yeah. to again, kind of the flow of reality, uh, to God working through creation, um, to, um, again, what reason demands of us in terms of how we, you know, the objective moral code we ought to live by versus, as you point out, him um following our own passions, um letting um our 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 zeal, even if it's a zeal for something good, again, Anakin had tremendous zeal for his family, for his wife, for his unborn children, um but yet it led him to the dark side, right He didn't calmly and passively think about what you know how the universe should be unfolding. Versus him wanting to control how the universe ought to unfold for his own desires, his own wants and needs.
3: Well, and I see that a lot too with the uh, uh, here where where the Buddhism kind of comes in. From from what I'm, I was picking up he he expresses in that in that third in that third film a lot of. This desire, like I, I should be getting this, or I should have this opportunity, or they should pick me, or they're not letting me do what I want to do. There's a lot of language of want, want, want um, that's causing him to be very frustrated and very angry. And I think that's that uh, Buddhism would teach. It's not, you know, that it's that it's that desire. It's eliminating that the, the desire is what's going to cause your suffering. And to a large extent, it does, because when he tries to uh, act and, you know, uh, satisfy his, his wants, that's when things, re- that's when it really gives into to the dark side.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, my wife has a phrase she uses often, thankfully not to me very much, but to <laughs> other people. Uh, your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay, honey, if you're listening, right. go ahead and uh, pretend you didn't hear that because I, I don't want that pointed at me. And,
1: but... <laughs> and and I think that ties in perfectly to w- w- sort of a foil that's out there that I think works to draw this theme out more. But that's that's honestly the the, the moral arc and, and moral development of, of the character of Han Solo. I keep bringing Han Solo up because I think he's just such a brilliant character within this, where now you, you have a guy who it really is his passions, his, his egoism, um, you know, that saves the day. I mean, he, he, he's the one that, He's not the hero of the whole story, but he's the hero as in he's the one that, that usually steps in and, and solves whatever the, the problems are right in front. And he's driven by his passions. He's, he's, he's a passionate guy that, that that's really all he knows is the immediate what's right in front of me, passionate side of life. And, and George Lucas has him playing a, a positive role that, that is, is very much needed for the whole story to work.
2: No, that you know, that reminds me of the you know the famous phrase uh, from Saint Mother, uh, Mother Teresa: "God writes straight with crooked lines," right? <laughs> um, you know, say, saints don't have to be morally perfect; they just have to be moral exemplars. Right. And sometimes, as we were talking about, the the best exemplars are the the the, the more imperfect people. Um, you know, I, I may mention this in some uh, some previous interview. You know intellectually, you know, I, I'm a Thomist. Uh, Aquinas is my guy. Um, but you know, having read several biographies of Aquinas, you know, he's obviously an inspiring figure, but he's he's very difficult to relate to, at least for me, outside of that kind of, you know, this intellectual giant that, of course, I know I will never be, but in some sense kind of aspire to, right? Um, you know, at least inspires to use my intellect well in the service of God, just, you know, knowing it will, will never be as well as Aquinas. Um, on the other hand, someone like Augustine, also an intellectual towering giant, um, but uh, Augustinian biography, starting with you know his own autobiography, the Confessions, much more relatable, you know for for mm-hmm. you know for for me and other sinners. <laughs> not not that my <laughs> sins are the, necessarily the exact same as Augustine's, but you know he's just a more relatable character. He's like the Han Solo of the Church Fathers, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: um,
2: and, and and so that I think you know you know Mark, I'm, I'm glad you bring us back to Han because yeah, I think you're right. We think about the role Han plays. It, it's always a it's a supporting role, right? Luke is going to be the one to blow up the Death Star, but of course Han has to get Vader off his tail in order for him to be able to do it. Um, Luke, it, uh, you know, he gets Leia out, off of Hoth in, in the in the Battle of Hoth, right? Um, he disconnects the energy shield so that Lando and the others can fly in and blow up the second death Star. right? He, it's, it's, he's, he plays a crucial role, but it's always a supporting role. So again, even though he's kind of driven by his passions, and and at some points, at least early on when we first meet him, is it's very ego-driven, he's just in it for the money, um, and maybe they get the princess um, <laughs> along the way, <laughs> um, his, his priorities shift. And of course, you know, again, spoiler alert, in Episode 7, he makes the ultimate sacrifice. And it's funny having watched that, that film many times, um, you know. I I, I kind of feel like when he steps on to that catwalk to speak to his son, to speak to Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Solo, he, I think he kind of knows what's about to happen. You know, at some level, may, maybe he hopes he can bring Ben back. He hopes he can say the right thing, um, but he also knows that if he doesn't do it, um, that something bad might happen. And so, again, he's willing to take that risk. He's willing to, to take, that, take that chance, again, for the passionate love of his son. Um, but unlike Anakin, who's going to control the situation, as you know, if, he, if he, he's going to try to force his son's will to be what he wants his son's destiny to be, um, Han is, again, like God with us. He's not exerting power over Ben. He's trying to lure him back, trying to lure him to the good mm-hmm. side, right? He's not trying to control him or, or shape his destiny. He's just trying to say, look, your destiny can be different than what you're making it out to be. Come come back with me. And he's willing to take the risk that he could fail, as he does in that moment, and is killed.
3: Well, we're speaking with uh, Dr. Jason Eberle, the professor of healthcare ethics and philosophy, Uh, of philosophy at uh, the wonderful St. Louis University. And uh, we've been talking, in addition to medical ethics and bioethics, Dr. Eberle's other area of profound expertise really is on cultural issues, especially around uh, various films and genres like that. And today we've been focusing on Star Wars and philosophy. He's the editor and contributor to many, many, many books out there. You can get them through Amazon, other uh, booksellers, but the two we're kind of zeroing in on today that he's edited and contributed to, one is uh, Star Wars and philosophy. Okay, that's an easy one to remember. Go get that one. And then the other one is the ultimate Star Wars and philosophy. You must unlearn what you have learned. I, I was wondering too, Dr. Eberl, um, you mentioned we, we've we talked to, I, I kind of see a Han Solo, I want to say this real quick. I kind of see his character. What I find compelling about it is he moves from being sort of selfish to being selfless and uh, kind of, you know, kind of despite himself. Like he wants to kind of like all of us. Right. We don't we don't always want to cooperate with moral progress. Right. Because it involves change and then sacrifice and taking risks. But but he does that. Um, I'm going to ask because we don't have a ton of time left. I'm going to ask you a personal question. So let me what. What? Who is your favorite character throughout, uh, this might be hard to narrow it down to one, but what's one of your favorite <laughs> characters and why in the Star Wars, uh, well, I don't know, the, the franchise, I'll call it a franchise.
2: <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, the franchise, the saga, the, oh, uh, it, I mean, it's hard to narrow on just one for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I certainly, Han, I think Han Solo is, is one of the most, like I said, relatable and likable characters. I mean, again, mm-hmm. Harrison Ford just a tremendous actor. Uh, whether it's Han Solo, or Indiana Jones, or oh yeah, whatever. that just had its
3: forty-year anniversary too. That's one of my all-time yeah. favorite movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark.
2: Because again, he plays even in that you know these these large heroic characters as also kind of everyman. I'll say another another of my favorite characters um, is Anakin slash Darth Vader. I mean, the saga really is. Even in the the sequel trilogy, um, where he's you know dead and no longer present, his you know his legacy is still very much shaping mm. um, you know the, the attitudes of Kylo Ren and, and others. Right, Vader is still very much of a presence there, um, and and that's why you know the two essays I wrote for the first two books I, I edited both really focus primarily on Anakin. I mean, they talk I will talk a little bit about Luke in the first one, but uh, I'm really focusing on Anakin and. Again, even though the prequels were not as well-made films um, and the acting was not, you know, up to par. Um, okay, I'm I have to like agree him. with you there. <laughs> yeah.
3: But I still I, like them.
2: Yeah. I mean, in, cert, in certain key moments, you know, I think, I think Hayden Christensen did do a good job. Like, I, I think he, he got, I as where Lucas said, he, he cast them to do the, 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 the dark side parts of Anakin, and then we, I kind of do, had to direct him to do the light side parts, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, you know, when it does come to episode three, right? I do, I do think you know his abilities, his embodiment of Vader, and in those, in those final scenes that you know does come across very well. Um, yeah, he's just a more interesting character. Um, you know, his his, his moral arc, uh, and, and again, this is what attracted me. So, the first film I saw. Um, I saw actually Return to Jedi was the first one I saw in the theater. Uh, I was eight in in 1983, and Ewoks. Already, Ewoks. I was, <laughs> Ewoks. I mean, here's the thing: eight years old, I was. I I already was annoyed by the Ewoks. Right? I was already a little bit too old for that. <laughs> Even
3: the song—it's such a happy little song they sing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you know, immediately I you know. Being born and raised Catholic, I'd already done my first communion by that point. I'd already been imbued with the, the sort of redemptive, salvific um, uh, theology of our faith. And so to see Vader's redemption, right, and th- that being my first exposure to Vader as this evil person who's redeemed, like, that resonated with me so much as a young Catholic. Um, and really then this kind of, yes, yeah, cemented Star Wars is this thing that will you know, forever kind of be part of my my own worldview, um, my own understanding of, of my own faith and 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 philosophy. And you know, like I said, led me full circle to, like I said, even this week getting together with my with my good friend and co editor Kevin to uh, to sort through over a hundred proposals we received. Apparently, <laughs> Star Wars is popular out there yep. um, to put together this new volume. Which with and, and this will speak to a third. Basically, I know you asked me for one, i will giving you three. Here's about my third the mandalorian then the Din the in the mandalorian tv series um again we see him go through an arc uh, across these two seasons very similar to to kind of han's arc
0: and as always with star wars we're gonna have to have a sequel we've <laughs> run out of time here on the catholic K for this week we've been talking to dr jason eberl about the philosophy of star wars for mark tuttle for timothy o'donnell i'm kent Blandford. Stay tuned for more on Catholic Radio Indy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400.
3: You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy.